from this body of death Oh wretched man that I am Who deliver me from this body of death I thank God, I thank God Through Jesus Christ our Lord I thank God, I thank God Through Jesus Christ our Lord For the wages of sin is death But the gift of God Eternal life for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I thank God. I thank consider myself to be fairly self-reliant. I have something within me that says, you need to get this done. You need to do this without asking for help. And a lot of times that works to my advantage because if something's got to get done, you know, I know that, that I can get it done. I know that I can get it taken care of. And so a lot of times it works out well. But there are times when I find that I'm in over my head and I have to do something that I don't particularly like to do, and it's to ask for help. Can anybody relate to that? Okay, because I find myself being self-reliant, I think I should be able to do this, and then I find myself usually at a point of no return where I have to reach out and say, hey, I need some help. 
Can you help me with this? Can you show me what I've done? Can you help me fix this mistake? And you know, I should have asked for help in the first place. I should have sought counsel, but I didn't. And I find myself being very sort of self-reliant. And sometimes, sometimes that's good, but sometimes it, it has consequences. And at times, you know, that's a that's a struggle for me. You know, I've related to you before, it's been quite a while, but I've related to you the story of the struggle of us getting Jackson here. You know, we went through the, the whole process of in vitro, and it was just a, a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of different procedures, and I was uh, able to, to pride myself in the fact that as it went in stages, we were able to pay for it, and I was able to pay to, at, at each step of the journey, but finally we hit a spot where they said, okay, it is now time for the procedure and you have to pay for it up front. And I said, okay, that's fine. And they said it, it's $10,000 to continue. And I didn't have $10,000. And I hit that point where I thought, you know, I, I've been able to do this and now I have to humble myself and I've got to go ask somebody for, for the money. And, and fortunately, fortunately they did, but it was one of those things that was just, it was not fun. But I didn't know what else to do. We'd sort of hit the, the end of the rope with what we could do on our own, and now we had to rely on others to, to come and to, and to help us out. And praise God they did. You know, that was, uh, that was uh, a little over eight years ago that that happened. Well, if you've been paying attention to the news, then you know that today is a pretty big day, right? What is today? What? Say it loud. Yes, it's the Super Bowl, okay? Today is the Super Bowl, okay? And it's, it, it goes beyond, you know, Broncos and Panthers, you know, it's, it's, it's Peyton and Cam, okay? It's the, the aging, I don't, I don't want to say old because he's my age, it's the aging the seasoned, I like that even better. It's the seasoned versus the up-and-comer. Okay, and it, it should make for a very exciting game. But, have you noticed that there's been something else going on? And I, and I heard some commentators talk about this the other day. They said there is something that has happened in football and around football that is so big that it is actually upstaging the Super Bowl. And it is the destruction, the self-destruction of, of Johnny Manziel, okay? Uh, now, if you're not familiar with Johnny Manziel and, and who he is, he is a tremendous college quarterback, played at, at Texas A&M, and he could just do some incredible things. He could escape a defense that was swarming down on them, and, and, and everybody remembers, everybody remembers the day he beat Alabama. We remember that. Those three on the back row are staring daggers at me right now. Uh, but we remember that, okay? Uh, and, you know, he went on, you know, and he, he went on to have a, a great college football career. He's got one of the coolest nicknames ever. I mean, it doesn't get much better than Johnny Football, okay? That's a cool nickname, okay? You know, they, they don't call me Jason Preacher. I mean, that just is not cool. Okay, that doesn't sound cool, but Johnny Football, man, that's, that's cool. Okay, um, he goes on, and he's a, 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 um, 
He's a first-round draft pick by the Cleveland Browns, and he makes all of this money, and he, uh, you know, he's got all this media attention. He begins to get endorsements, and then things just sort of unraveled around him. It's like he could not stay out of trouble. It's like things just continued to find him, and he continued to find himself in, in all, of these, all of these situations. Uh, and then just a, a week or so ago, the authorities are called out to where he was uh, over a domestic dispute with, uh, with, with his girlfriend. And then a few days ago, the Cleveland Browns said in an unofficial but sort of a, a veiled but not really veiled message that come March when they are allowed to do this, that they're going to cut ties with him. With their number one draft pick the kid who they thought was going to lead them back to to football prominence and then to add insult to injury something sort of unprecedented happened Johnny Manziel's agent fired him this week did you see that that almost never happens now it's often it's often true that an athlete will fire an agent but it very rarely happens that an agent says, you know what, this is just too messy. I don't want to be involved with this anymore. And so he's going to walk away from millions of dollars. Okay? And then Johnny Manziel's dad, just this past week, said, if Johnny does not get some help, he is not going to make it to C-24. That's the... That's the words of his, of his dad. Now then, I, I don't know. I don't know what Johnny's state of mind is. And it's easy to criticize somebody like that. I mean, he's, the, you know, he's a rich kid, had everything given to him, not a whole lot of discipline, it seems. And while it's easy to criticize, I think maybe more than criticize, what we need to do is we need, we need to be heartbroken for somebody like that we need to pray for somebody like that who's just sort of lost it and I, I don't know where Johnny is but I can imagine or at least I hope that he's sort of at the end of his rope that he's he, he's at the the end of his rope and we think well you know why why on earth would you want that but have you ever felt that way have you ever hit a, a spot in your life where you felt like, I'm, you know, I'm at the end of my rope. I can do nothing else. I don't, I don't have any other options. I've got to ask for help. I cannot pull myself out of this. I can't pull myself up by my own self-reliance, by my own bootstraps. Have you ever felt that way? Like you're at the end of your rope? Well, I think we, we probably all have and what I would say is that it's at the end of our rope. At the end of our rope is the place where Jesus actually wants us. He wants us to stay there, and it is there at the end of our ropes that we find humility, that we find love, that we find grace, and, and, and we find forgiveness. And so today we come back to the first words that Jesus speaks in His to his disciples. We'll be in Matthew 5, and we're going to jump into Luke in just a few minutes, Luke 18. But he's gathered his disciples, and he's up on the mountaintop, and he has sat down, and he is beginning 
to preach. And, you know, he begins to address his disciples, his, his followers. And he doesn't begin with wanting to know our thoughts on God. He's not particularly concerned with what we think about religion. Instead, he wants to know what we think about ourselves. He wants to know what our, our attitude is about ourselves and about our, our state of mind. And he puts a finger on a place that probably a lot of us would rather he not touch. But in Matthew 5, 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we said last week, that word blessed, that's that great word makarios and what it means is to be happy to be found in in God's favor and Jesus is saying if you want to be blessed if you want to be happy then you need to be poor in spirit what are you what are you talking about Jesus now then uh, the gospel of Luke he records part of the sermon on the mount as well and he records these these beatitudes and he just says blessed are the the poor Matthew adds poor in spirit. And I'm glad he does that because that gives us a better understanding of what Jesus is trying to say. Okay? Because it's not so much blessed are those who don't have anything, although I do think that's a part of it. But when he says blessed are the poor in spirit, he's talking about blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Those who are, are, are spiritually defunct. Those who are, who are destitute and have no other options. Those who are at the end of their rope. The message translates this verse like this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and His rule. Doesn't that make sense? That's how we have to come to Jesus. That's what He's saying. If you're going to follow Me, I don't care what you think about God and all of this stuff. I want to know what your attitude is. There has to be less of you. And so when you follow me, I need you to bring me your broken, destitute, spiritually bankrupt life. A life that you can do nothing to affect. A life that you have no you have no effect on as far as your salvation goes. I want you to bring that brokenness. I want you to bring that. I want you to bring that to me. And he it says it's got to be more of him and, and, and less, less of us. And so Jesus makes this statement, blessed are the, are the poor in spirit. Now then, we're going to, uh, we're going to strengthen this, this argument just a little bit. You know, these are, these are, 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 are lean little verses, okay? There's not, not a whole lot to them, but yet, you know, there, there's not, uh, you know, there's just not this ongoing commentary, but it's sort of this lean muscle. And so, we're going to run over to Luke for just a minute and, and see if Matthew can, can get by with a little help of his friends, with his friends. Joe Cocker fans got that. In Luke 18, Jesus tells 
several parables, but the one we're going to look at, it's called the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, or the Pharisee and the tax collector. But realistically, when, when we read it, I think that a good name could be, you know, the parable of the spiritually destitute, or the parable of the, of the poor in spirit. And he is talking to some of these people. Okay, he is talking to some of those people who are sort of self-reliant, who are dependent on themselves and, and think they are so great that they've got it all together. And so he begins talking in, in Luke 18, verse 9, and it says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they regarded others with contempt. Have you ever found yourself in that position? I have. Okay, there have been days, you know, and maybe you're this way too, but there have been times in my life where it's like, God, you are so welcome to have me on your team. You know, you need me, and here I am. Okay, God, God, you're so lucky that I've given my life to you because you, I mean, you need me, God. Okay, you know, anybody else sort of felt that way? Like, man, I'm, I'm good, I'm religious i do good works i go to church i don't ever miss i always write my checks on time and you know i wear right clothes and i do all this stuff and it's great and i wave at people and you know i'm great god i'm glad you have me okay you are blessed that i'm on your team okay you know and we can start just rattling off all of these lists of, of spiritual accomplishments okay we can find ourselves in that position and that's kind of what he's talking about right here so he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now then, as we, you well know, and we've talked about many times, these are, you know, this is like a total antithesis between these two. You have the Pharisees who are respected. They're the religious elite. These are the guys who, who know the answers. Okay? People know who they are. They respect their opinion. They respect their 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 ability to, uh, to teach and to lead them, okay? And then you have the tax collector who is considered a traitor to his own people. The people hate him because he works for Rome, okay? And he extorts his own people after he's paid Rome so he can have a living himself, okay? And so the people hate the tax collector. So Jesus has given us kind of these, these polar opposites to make his point. And he says, these two men, they went to the temple to pray. That's their sole reason for going to the temple. Now then watch this. Verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself. You can just sort of see the Pharisee coming into the temple and just looking around. And just, uh, mm. I'm going to stand over here. And he begins to pray. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. Thieves and rogues and adulterers and even this, this tax collector. God, I fast twice a week even though it's only required once. I fast twice a week, God. And I give a tenth of my income. God, you're so blessed to have me on your team. 
You see, we can make the mistake of being like that. Here is someone who is completely self-reliant. He is dependent upon his own abilities. Someone who is self-reliant to that point has no need for God. Has no need for Jesus because they're depending on their own righteousness. They are trusting in works for their salvation, not Jesus Christ. Okay, and while all of those things are great and they're good, they do not save. The only thing that saves is Jesus. And so then he talks about the tax collector. He says, but the, the, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but he was beating his breast and he was saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I, I, I can't do this on my own. It's the tax collector who realizes his spiritual bankruptcy. It's the tax collector who comes to God poor in spirit, saying, I can't do this. God, be merciful to me. I, I, I need you. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, this man went home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves, all who humble themselves will be exalted. If we are going to, to follow Jesus, that's the place we have to follow Jesus from. Not from our ability, not from our talent, not from the things that we have done, not from our accomplishments, not from our education, not from our money, not from our social status. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must follow out of the brokenness of our lives. And we are not ready to follow Jesus until we get to that place. Until we get to the end of our rope are we ready to follow Jesus. And it's not until we're at the end of our rope that we can fully experience the blessings of God. And it's not until we're at the end of our rope where we recognize that we're broken, that we're destitute, that we have nothing else to offer that we can fully experience the kingdom of God. It's like the song we sing, I come broken to be mended. That's the only way. That's the only way we can follow Jesus. If we follow Jesus any other way, then we're following Him as the Pharisees. But in truth, the Pharisees never followed Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to follow Him out of out of our, our, our brokenness. That's what it means to be, to be poor in spirit. So two questions. The first is this. Ask yourself this. Am I His, am I Jesus' disciple because I think I'm worthy? 
Now then, I understand that there is the, the I understand that there's the, the need for some people to say, you know what, I am worthy. Jesus has saved me and all this. And I, and I understand that. But understand, it's Jesus that makes us worthy. It's not anything that we do. Am I following Jesus because I think I am worthy because of my own abilities, my own merits, my own deeds? Is that why I'm following Jesus? Because Jesus needs me on His team. Or, do I recognize that the only way that I can find hope is to admit my brokenness and bring that, that, that broken life, that broken life to Jesus. You see, and it's, it's that. When we gain that understanding that we are able and we're ready to follow, and that, that leads us to our growth point of the morning, and it's, it's simply this, and this is good news. That's why I say it's, it's good news for us to be at the end of our rope spiritually. And we think, how could it be? It's because we just, what we've just talked about, and it's at the end of your rope. At the end of your rope is where you find hope. Because we're bringing a broken life and we're laying it at Jesus' feet. We're saying, here I am. Jesus is saying, come just as you are. We're saying, I come broken to be mended. Just as I am. Probably the most well-known hymn in the world is Amazing Grace. Even people that don't go to church know about Amazing Grace, right? They may not know the second, the third, the fourth, uh, however many, nine, ten, fifteen verses there are to that song. But everybody knows the first verse of that song, right? So, so I want you to say it with me in just a second when I indicate. It says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a like me. Everybody knows those words. Those are the words that were penned by, by John Newton centuries ago. John Newton was an interesting character. And he wrote that word, wretch, to describe himself. Now then, there are people that, again, kind of, you know, we understand. Some people are sensitive, and I, and I understand that. And at one time, there were people that were, were so sensitive, they looked at, well, you know, I'm not a wretch, you know, I'm God's kid, I'm God's favorite, I'm, God loves me. And so they, they, they took it upon themselves to, to rearrange and rewrite that phrase in Amazing Grace to say, not saved a wretch like me, but Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, saved and, and, and set me free. Now then, I, I'm not going to argue with that because that is right. That's absolutely right, okay? We are saved by grace, but to change the lyrics of that song from wretch to saved and set me free undermines the theology of John Newton. Because John Newton was a scoundrel. By 11 years old, he was already considered a deserter. Constantly in trouble. No one liked this guy. No one could trust this guy. And he grew up and he went into business as a slave trader. His trade was dealing in human lives. 
and he was very good at it. He was cutthroat with the deals that he made with people as he exchanged human beings as if they were goods and services to be bartered and traded. He was absolutely cutthroat in his business. He often would rape the slave women. And he at times was known for beating some of his slaves almost to within an inch of, inch of their lives. But one night, he got sick. And a severe depression kind of sat down on him. And it was in that moment that he broke. And so he went off over in a corner, and he says of that moment, he says, I I made no resolve but to cast myself before the Lord to do with me as he should please. John Newton understood that he was spiritually destitute. John Newton knew that he was poor in spirit. Two years later, he's out of the slave trade business. He went on to study theology. Went on to write over 200 hymns. Amazing Grace being the most well-known hymn probably in the world. But John Newton understood the value of being a wretch. He understood because he saw the value of being poor in spirit, of, of finding his spot at the end of his robe. Paul, Paul knew the same thing. Just read this to you and we'll be done. Romans 7, 24, 25, Paul writes, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul understood his brokenness as well. And that he wrote out of that, What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then verse 25 goes on to say, But I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, he understood, he understood what it meant to be poor in spirit. We have to understand that same thing. If we are going to follow Jesus, and hear me, if we're going to follow Jesus, we must be poor in spirit. That means we acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge our brokenness. We don't hide from it. We don't act like we have it all together. Yeah, and you know what that's like. I mean, that's exhausting. And eventually that facade crumbles or people see through it. You know what I'm talking about? So we must acknowledge it. We must bring those broken lives, the, the destitute, the brokenness, bring that to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm out of options. I have nothing else. I can do nothing to affect my salvation. I'm at the end of my rope. That's where Jesus wants us to be and that's where Jesus wants us to stay at the end of our rope because it's only at the end of our rope where we can have that same attitude as the tax collectors that says God have mercy on me because I am continually in need of mercy 
and I hope to God that I never find my way back up the rope. I want to stay at the end where I am not relying on myself, where I am only, only relying on God and the grace found in His Son, Jesus. They're lean, but they're strong, aren't they? Next week, we're going to look at, look at four that says, blessed are those who mourn. And, 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 and this one, and next week's, they kind of work as a one-two, kind of a counterpunch. Because it's not just about mourning over death. It's about mourning over our sin. And we're going to pick that up next week. But where are you right now? Are you relying completely on yourself? If you are, if you're relying on yourself, your own spirituality, your own deeds and actions and good works for your salvation, guess what? You cannot experience the blessings of the kingdom of God. Those only come to those who are poor in spirit. So while it sounds bad, somebody says you're poor in spirit, you know what? That's a compliment. Because you've recognized I have to have Jesus. Don't rely on yourself. Only rely on Jesus. Only rely on God. Don't be upset if somebody says you're a wretch. Say, yeah, you're right, I know. But let me tell you about the amazing grace of Jesus who died to save a wretch like me. If you need to come back to Jesus, do that today. If you need to begin your walk with Jesus, do that today. Confess Him. Be baptized in His name. But don't go away. Don't go away relying on yourself. Go away at the end of your rope, trusting, knowing that God is going to hold you there for all time. We can help you. We can pray for you. Why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?